0: Filmography podcast episode two. I am your host Jason. Joining me today is his first name is Chris. I'll let him explain the rest. Uh, Chris, why don't you tell the folks about yourself?
1: Hey there, my name's uh, Chris Hazelhurst. I'm an aspiring actor, recovering lawyer. Yeah, last name Hazelhurst. And you can find me on Twitter at uh, oh hey Chris Hazel and at uh, Instagram at Chris Hazel X. It's H uh, A Z L E for now.
0: For now, we'll, we'll decide the stage name later right
1: exactly um, I'm expecting your your thousands and thousands of listeners to tweet at me to uh, give
0: me suggestions my mom doesn't use Twitter okay so this is episode 2 of filmography podcast the podcast we were going through the career of Christopher Nolan last episode episode 1 we talked about following uh, we are now on his second feature-length film memento which I think is the film that really first put Chris on the map when somebody says to you, "Hey, what do you think about Memento?" What is your first reaction?
1: I, you know, I think like a lot of people, it sort of it strikes in my mind as one of the sort of Fight Club type movies, right? It was one of those first movies you watch when you're younger that just really messes with your mind with the, the nonlinear structure, and you have your sort of twists at the end. Um, it was always one of my favorite movies.
0: So it came out in 2001, I think. Uh, just getting into a quick recap of the movie here. If there's a lesson I learned from episode one it's that trying to recap a Christopher Nolan movie or at least one of his first two here thoroughly and in a way that makes sense isn't really gonna work because if you haven't seen memento it's basically presented backwards and forwards. so it's presented in multiple ways there's cross-cutting between these two timelines that meet at the end of the movie but would actually be the middle of the story I was trying to think of what the best way to cover Memento was. And I think if you had describe the movie in a tweet.
1: So we're, we're doing like the like an elevator pitch, but you're only going one floor is what you're telling. Yeah.
0: Maybe we're even walking up the stairs. So you're a little out of breath and you can't use big words. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What how would you describe this movie as somebody that has a very, very short attention span?
1: basically a guy with a memory disorder who's on a reven- revenge quest to find the person who killed his wife and gave him this mental disorder. His, his issue is he has no short-term memory, but he has long-term memory. So the movie presents life in the way that he sees it, which is basically in five to ten minute chunks after which each he resets. And there's two parts. Black and white part uh, is told in a linear fashion like a normal movie where the scenes go together and it alternates that with uh in color where the scenes are played in reverse chronological order so you'll see a 10 minute scene and then the next time you go back to color it'll be the
0: 10 minutes that preceded that i'm already confused and i've seen the movie right it's that yeah, hard i know what you're it's saying. it's that difficult to explain so i th- let me take a stab right it's a psychological thriller about a guy that can't make new memories and he's looking for revenge on the person that he thinks Raped and murdered his wife. When most scenes start, in a in a in a normal movie, you you enter into something and you wonder what's going to happen. In Memento, you wonder what already happened.
1: It, it, you could also view it as kind of like the like very very direct slap you in the face version of most film noir, which is like you're piecing together the facts now to try to put together the story that happened before it, and in this case. The editing is doing exactly that. Like, here's five minutes. Don't you wish you knew what happened the five minutes before it? And then the next time you come back, you get the five minutes before it, which gives
0: you the context. Perfect. There we go. Perfect. So re-listen to that part over and over again if if what we said before that doesn't make sense. Yeah. we'll get that in editing. Yeah. You know, a couple of principal characters. We have Leonard, who is our memory-challenged protagonist played by guy pierce and i you know i think we'll get the actors in a minute here
1: yeah it turns out he's not jeffrey donovan which was very shocking to me i thought they were the same person i was you're asking about my reactions to memento initially maybe this is jumping the gun but i was gonna go in with my like yeah you know he really changed it up for burn notice and then i realized that that's a different person
0: jeff i don't even know i don't think i know who that is burn notice was
1: burn notice is a tv show on uh Oh, TNT, it's about a, you know,
0: a disavowed spy, spy or something. Spy, right. right. And I
1: thought it was the same person. Me and a lot of the internet, apparently. Because that is what I was going to come in with. And it turns out uh, Guy Pierce, already budding movie career, was not doing TV at the time.
0: And I think Matt Damon and John Cena look a little bit alike. But I'm not going to confuse either one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you continue. <laughs> That's going to be cut out. Anyway. So, yeah. So, Guy Pierce plays Leonard, who can't remember things. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce his name correctly, but Joe Pantoliano.
1: Joe, Joe, Italian name.
0: He was in The Fugitive. He was in Matrix. He was in this movie. Uh, he's been in.
1: I, I only. My my, my first and direct thought was The Matrix, but that also is because, you know, Carrie Ann Moss is in this as well.
0: So there's also Carrie Ann. Oh, the good. So uh, Francis in The Goonies he he plays Fr- he's one of the brothers in the goonies
1: that's right i would never have remembered that and if
0: you haven't seen the matrix or the fugitive you've certainly seen the goonies and he's is he the one that slips on the log with the uh the crotch shot or is that the other brother?
1: We're we're going deep into the depths of my memory. I don't, did he have a did he have a mustache then? Because otherwise, I don't think no, I remember.
0: I don't I remember, but I think the running joke in the movie was he doesn't wear a hairpiece. Yeah, you're right. We're going off the rails, but okay. But yeah, he was in the Matrix with Carrie Ann Moss, who's also in this movie playing Natalie. Oh, I should say Joe's character's name is Teddy. So Joe and Carrie Ann Moss and Guy Pierce and you know if if you were gonna pick anybody else that plays a significant enough role to talk about, I suppose it would be Stephen, how do you say his last name? Tobolowsky,
1: Stephen to- oh, Tobolowski.
0: Now, don't you tell me you don't remember me because I sure as heck fire remember you. Ned Ryerson.
1: To clarify for the uninitiated, or if you don't remember who Ned Ryerson is, we're talking Groundhog's Day.
0: I apologize to anybody out there that, that didn't pick up on that. You probably should be listening to other podcasts. If, if you didn't know who Ned Ryerson is from uh, from Groundhog's Day, so so we got these uh, folks, and everybody is kind of using Guy Pierce, trying to manipulate and or help Guy Pierce meet his end. And of course, because he has this quirk with his memory, people take advantage of him. If you'd ask me what scene or scenes I remember from the movie prior to rewatching it recently, there's one very specific one that sticks out. And you tell me what yours is in a second, but the scene Leonard is frantically searching for a pen to write down what had happened. And we don't know why yet, but it turns out Trinity had tricked him into hitting her and then used those that bloody lip to convince him somebody else had hit her and then got him to act on her behalf. Well, what, I mean, you had you had seen Memento a while ago, right? And then had watched yeah. it again recently. Is there was there something that having watched it again, you're like, oh, yeah, this scene or. This scene, yeah. Well, first off, I'd say, I mean, the the intro, you know,
1: the sort of bullet in reverse time as he's uh, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, beginning the movie by killing Teddy. Definitely something that stuck out in my mind. But sort of this the same idea uh, with, uh, you know, with your scene about with Carrie and Moss. The other thing I remembered was the scene where he wakes up in the hotel with the, with the hooker. Because that the scene that follows that one, where we learn the circumstances for that, it turns out that he had set up that situation himself. He went, he paid for a prostitute to come to a hotel room, and just said, "Hey, look, spread these things around the room so it looks like we had a wild night together, and then just go outside and slam the door, so you know, so that I'll wake up and basically think that I was with you this night." And I like I, that always stuck out of me, like, hey, playing on the same kind of like you know, how he can easily twist circumstances and not know what's going on, but be it sort of the, one of the first introductions to the idea that he himself is another person who's, like, taking advantage of his own condition.
0: I have in my notes that I want to talk about that scene later, so okay. we'll, we'll come to it. Uh, around 99, 2000, we mentioned that Carrie Ann Moss had been in The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Other, this in The Matrix, and obviously this, the Matrix sequels, can you name anything else that she's been in?
1: No, offhand, I really can't. I was looking at her IMDb also, and I realized I... I oh, actually, no. Sorry, I take that back. Recently, um, she is in Jessica Jones, so she's now in the whole uh, Netflix Marvel universe going on. So I was going to oh. say, uh, up, oh. until, up until that, I would say no.
0: Well, how are they going to rewrite that character with when the eventual MCU-Warner Brothers universe crossover occurs and Trinity is fighting alongside Luke Skywalker and Spider-Man?
1: Well, that's easy. They just unplug her, and she goes from lawyer to vigilante fighter. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that was Carrie Ann Moss. Guy Pierce, at the time, you had mentioned a, a burgeoning uh, movie career. All around the same time, I, I guess Count of Monte Cristo is credited as coming out after he did that weird time machine remake. The thing that I remember him from, and is one of my favorite movies, and something that never that nobody has ever seen or remembers all that well. It's a film called Ravenous. Are you familiar at all? I have no
1: idea. No, I, I don't know Ravenous. L.A. Confidential, I think, would be the other one that by then at least he was sort of well-known for. Yeah, duh.
0: And then since then, not a whole lot uh, on the docket as far as prestige movies, right?
1: Well, he, he got he got blown up pretty good in The Hurt Locker. I remember th- seeing him. Yeah. Picking, oh. Well, I remember because he was he was a noticeable enough face at the beginning of The Hurt Locker.
0: I saw The Hurt Locker once years ago, but that was... He's with whomever in the beginning or he's disarming the bomb yeah. in the opening sequence yeah. and dies.
1: I, and I remember, I remember watching the movie and thinking to myself, oh, cool, that's Guy Pierce. Uh, I wonder what he's doing here. Oh, he's gone.
0: So what a tease. He was the um, antagonist in Iron Man 3, which was okay, I guess. And then since then, not, not much. We talked about Joe. Already, uh, at, by 1999, 2000, he had done Fugitive, uh, Baby's Day Out. There's a Banner banner movie.
1: I really only knew him as uh, Cypher from The Matrix.
0: And that's all you really need to know him by. One of the other things, as far as people that worked on the movie, that I kind of wanted to touch on was the cinematographers. Looking at some of the people that were considered to be director of uh, photography and then what they went on to do. So, for example, uh, the guy that ended up being... Uh, DP on uh, Memento here. Uh, Wally Fister, who also did other Nolan movies. He did... He did all of them. M- most of them up until the last couple. So he did Insomnia, Batman Begins, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, Inception, The Dark Knight Rises. So he didn't do Interstellar or Dunkirk. But that yeah, he clearly did the majority of them. I think the funniest thing with him when I was looking at his working credit is his second credit as uh cinematographer is for a video in 1991 called inside out and i saw it there and didn't think much of it then i was scrolling through there's an inside out two and inside out three and inside out four i was like what is this it's skinamax it's softcore porn just looking at the imdb page inside out 1991 playboy does to softcore sex films what hbo's tales from the crypt did for horror it's probably some sort of lesson that no matter where you start off like my guest host today you, too, can one day work with Oscar-nominated directors, even if you're doing some skin stuff in, in 1991. So that's encouraging.
1: Yeah, I mean, as, a, as an aspiring uh, entertainment industry member myself, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of things that I already am ashamed of doing.
0: Uh,
1: so, you know, when, when my name goes up in lights, and it will have changed based on the suggestions of your thousands of Twitter followers, we'll, we'll just never talk about those things again.
0: I mean, you got to cut your teeth somewhere. The other cinematographer is just to touch on them from the IMDb trivia page. Cinematographer Mark Vargo turned down an interview with Nolan because he didn't understand the script. He later admitted that this was a mistake. And <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and side with this guy because looking at his director of photography credits, there's just a handful. Most of them are from the TV series Salem in 1998 and 99. He did a TV movie. He did something called "Pay It to the Bone," which I have not heard of. Just a handful of things wait, from Pay there. it to the bone or
1: play it to the bone?
0: Uh, oh, play it to the bone.
1: Oh wait, the uh, the Antonio Banderas movie with uh, him and Woody Harrelson. Oh,
0: yep, that's
1: that's, it. that's actually one of my favorite movies. So oh really? I w- yeah, I will I will disagree. That's an excellent movie. Okay, well, so if I can if I can plug a movie that probably no one uh, listening has seen, uh, that's a fantastic one. It's about two middling boxers on a road trip to fight each other uh, in the like exhibition match before the uh, championship match. And it's about their friendship and their relationship and about how they beat the crap out of each other. Uh, it's really good. I'm sold. It's like white men can't jump except about boxers.
0: You could probably pitch a lot of movies to people. It's like white men can't jump except insert other sport here. Yeah. Woody Harrelson buddy movie. Some of the also rands that were considered for casting in this movie, which I think are pretty interesting. The one that I think might have worked, I don't know if you saw this one, was Dennis Leary as Teddy.
1: Yes, I, I saw that and I agreed. Dennis Leary would have made a great Teddy. I think he would have brought, he would, it would have been a very similar character. He would have just been that kind of asshole where you're like, I, I don't know if he's telling the truth or not. Because I kind of like him, but I kind of hate him.
0: I, I couldn't say where my head was at about Dennis Leary in the year 2000. I feel like he couldn't do it now because he's just too Dennis Leary now. But, yeah, he, w- he would have been pretty close to being, I don't want to say perfect, but I th- I could see him in that role. Like
1: How, how close are we, to- how close are we to Demolition Man in
0: the year? Demolition D-W? Man was 93, I'm pretty sure. 92 or 93. You know, it's all too easy and, and maybe even a little too fun to just bash things uh, yeah. constantly. And there is certainly so much to like about this movie Uh, I mentioned it in following that Nolan movies are a lot like uh, a magic trick in that there's sleight of hand, some misdirection there's really nothing that's on screen that's superfluous Well, I will
1: will say in sort of traditional blockbuster writing style in a script there's usually sort of some place that's between act 2 and act 3 that they call the fun and games And that's where, you know, the superhero is going to start shooting off his powers. Like, you know, spider Man's going to start playing with his web slingers and uh, in Die Hard, he's going to start just killing the criminals in interesting ways and and this or that that don't really necessarily forward the plot, but they're just the the screenwriter playing around. That's where you're going to kind of relax into the movie before we get back to things that are really going to forward the plot along. So it's.
0: Yeah, it's not in here, is it? Yeah,
1: they don't really follow those beats.
0: There's nothing wasted here. Like you could tell, and again, I said this about following it's. They, they plotted and they must have storyboarded the absolute hell out of this thing to make sure that there was nothing wasted. Now, with Following, they were doing it because it was an independent film and to keep costs down, they only wanted to have to shoot things as few times as possible. Um, you know, film's not cheap, but this you'd assume they have a little bit more flexibility, but still, it's just... every Everything has to be there. There's really nothing you can take away. I couldn't think of a single scene or... Sequence that not a single wasted scene there's nothing you could take out that wouldn't at least affect the movie a little bit right i mean okay so this is where i'll ask about it um what what's the point of the escort scene what why 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 what's why that? that like
1: That was one of, I'm with you, there was sort of about two moments in the film where I just really wondered why he did something. That was one of the, the second one was why he steals the clothes and the car of the guy he kills at the end slash beginning.
0: Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad you mentioned that as the other one, because that's really the other one. Why does he make him strip?
1: Uh, He says to not get blood on the clothes because apparently he's already planning on stealing the clothes, and I don't know why.
0: Okay, so um, I mean, yeah. that's so that's the prior question. Then like, why why does he want why to st- like? Does he see the clothes? And just be like, God, shit, those are nice. Those are nice. And then he says, like, yeah, I'd rather be a drug dealer than a murderer. How it recognizes one, but it was still, right. it still doesn't explain. I don't, I, it still doesn't explain why he decided to steal the guy's clothes.
1: Well, taking it back to the earlier one, because I think I have a better answer for the the, for the, the escort pro- scene for the escort scene. Okay. Yes, I think for the escort scene. Um, that to me is kind of the, the, the strongest introduction of the idea that he himself is guilty of the thing that everybody else is doing to him which is taking advantage of his condition to do something against him and it's the first time that you really see that, he, you know, that we can't take his gospel, the notes that he writes to himself his tattoos, all of these things it's the first time you're putting a bug in the mind of the audience that oh even he is not to be trusted For example, when he's laying in bed, I think it might even be after that scene, we see one of his tattoos that says, consider the source.
0: Yes, I I had not put those tattoos together like that. And I I, I think I'm understanding the whole, he's taking advantage of his condition to give himself a moment where he gets to think his wife is alive. Is that what you're saying?
1: So it's both giving himself that minute and then also reminding himself that no, she is indeed gone because he wants to just really hammer that home
0: okay I like that thank you that that makes more sense of that then Um, I'm glad you mentioned the unreliable narrator part of things as well because that was something um, that Christopher Nolan mentioned in an interview where he always liked that as a plot device but his he wanted and I wrote this down what did it say Um, always been interested in that story mechanic but wanted an appropriate reason for the narrator to be unreliable and this seems like a pretty good one could this movie be made in a contemporary context people have smartphones the internet exists you're almost certainly uh, a good chance that you're on social media with pictures that people can blackmail you with from years back it would be it would be an interesting twist like maybe they could try remaking this because there's all of this stuff for recording life it doesn't solve his memory problem i'm just wondering could this movie be made today
1: and you know and i i, I it's interesting because i think if you'd said could it be made in the mid-2000s i would have said no because we had such technology like this like you know you can take a picture of everything you can post things on social media all these things so there's so many more ways to to record what's actually happening so that you don't have to rely on you know, losing the pages in your notebook and you don't have to rely, you know, it, there's not all this sort of lack of communication. Now though, because everything is so easy to fabricate in Photoshop and Photoshop and, and create, you know, unreliable narratives in the news and all these sorts of things that I feel like we've developed into a, like, a culture that's an expert at creating fake things such that you could just rewrite the story to where, you know, instead of uh, taking a Polaroid of something and writing a false note on it, he'll just, you know, could literally photoshop uh you know he's like i caught a picture of this person at the scene and you know was this guy and he plugs it in there so he could just you know spend 10 minutes and and create a fabricated picture of what happened if he wanted to really trick himself into believing something it's not a lie if you believe it
0: but would he remember what he's doing like why he started making that <laughs> why he started photoshopping <laughs> that to begin with which is another weird i guess now we can sort of get into our
1: we do we some hot takes because my main hot take on this is who in the world lets this person drive a car?
0: Uh, there's nobody stopping him. There's nobody stopping him from doing another thing. I have a Stalin clip from this movie that I wanted to play, and this seems like a good time to play it. I don't think they'd let someone like me carry a gun. I fucking hope not. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, and then he gets in the driver's seat
1: of a car right after saying that. That's exactly what I was thinking of.
0: <laughs> Different time and place because obviously if that was said today Garner would be all over this movie. Leonard could absolutely get a gun these days. 100%. I don't think they'd let someone like me carry a gun. I fucking hope not. <laughs> it's just it's just the most perfect thing. But yeah, how how do they let him drive a car? Why does he get to carry a gun? Uh, there there seems to be I'm really trying to drive this word from my vocabulary so I'm going to always use this button, but there seems to be the implication that he keeps his like trauma exacerbates the memory problem not super consistent how long he remains
1: before one of his resets let's call it
0: right right because there seems to be times that it's a lot longer than other times and I'm sure it's just it's you have to to serve it's not like there's just a buzzer that goes off every time you're about to lose the memory like a count it's not Majora's Mask is that a deep cut is anybody out there going to get that one I'm with you okay nice I knew I, I knew we were friends for a reason. Yeah, of course. So I it's it's a little inconsistent there. I also wanted to talk about the uh, his look, um, the blonde hair. <laughs> that's 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 nineties, bro. Was that is that's 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 a nineties thing, right? That's just
1: yeah. That's did you not have uh, blonde spike tips? Because I sure as hell did. I was the coolest thirteen year old kid on the planet, man. I
0: frosted my now. Did you did you uh, is that what you're calling what your hair did, or is it, did you do it on purpose?
1: It's both. <laughs> I, oh, I frosted. Yeah, <laughs> that's for, for folks at home who can't see me. I have extremely gray hair.
0: Chris is a silver fox. He's one of the most handsome humans that I'm aware of.
1: Side side, side note uh, on that: speaking of things that uh, in the future of my career I regret doing, I
0: he's going to play Anderson Cooper in Anderson Cooper's bio. Maybe. I am.
1: I I literally got uh, a gig recently. Uh, where the casting call said looking for Anderson Cooper lookalikes, and uh, it is Perfect. boom. It's 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 one of those crime reenactment things. So I'm going to be on a TV show where I'm playing the like that really campy, you know, black and white reenactment of some true crime drama because they like the detective looks like Anderson Cooper, does anybody else? And I said, yeah, me.
0: Congratulations on that one.
1: Thank you. And you know, we'll 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 edit that out if it turns out that uh, my part gets cut.
0: But no, I I frosted the tips. I had the bowl cut. I'm not exempt from. The embarrassment, but I'm—I never started a movie that so so clearly placed me in an era of male fashion as the the blonde hair was. I'll get you back to the gun thing really quick. I don't know if you noticed, but it's again, it's it's implied here the implication that assuming he's not a poor witness in this regard, when his wife is being attacked in his flashbacks, he does have a gun because he goes in he and does. shoots the one intruder before getting bashed by the other one if that is indeed what happened.
1: And so we're saying at, at, at that point, before he began his life of crime, uh, pursuing his killer, or pursuing the, the criminal that he, we have to assume it was
0: licensed. Well, uh, I mean, I guess we can grant him that. I don't know if we have to make that assumption. He just has one, hmm. and was not losing his memory before he got one. And then he continued to keep one. But then at some point, was capable enough to understand that maybe he shouldn't have one. So... Does that mean he's faking it? Like Sammy Jankis? Remember Sammy Jankis? Who's uh by the way Sammy Jankis is played by our, our friend Ned. <laughs> I
1: I I think the fact that he understands that he has a condition is still consistent with the condition cuz you know you you carry some memories and you lose some other ones. Well, that's the thing. I have this condition. I think.
0: Yeah. So he does. He has it. He mentioned it all the time, which I think is is pretty funny and and something that works well with the uh, reminding everybody throughout the movie, like, I think I've, I've told you about this, right? Every time I see ya, and I liked uh, Teddy's quip about how he gets to tell the same jokes over and over, because...
1: You know, here's here's a question that I have, that I don't know if, if you noticed, or it, in the scenes moving backwards in particular, it seems to go from day to night an awful lot, and I don't know how much... Because it seems like when you connect the scenes, they all sort of, you know, once again, the next scene... Ends where the prior one began, and they only seem to last seven to ten minutes or so each. And yet, you know, we go through like five different days. And from what I could see, there's only really one time where they do your standard kind of cut from day to night. And it seems to be when he's with Natalie in her house, uh, and he leaves with her for a while, and then all of a sudden it's nighttime, which. So you know, my, my two questions are, one, in that particular scene, how is it that it went from day to night and he still seems to be part of the same sort of lucid scene without having done one of his resets? And second of all, uh, are we going from day to night back to day again in a matter of 20
0: minutes? So there's one of those inconsistencies in how long he may or may not remember certain things. I think the black and white scenes that move forward through the movies all take place probably over the course of however long that's essentially a couple of phone calls, and then... Well, if
1: it's, you know, it's about... It's half of 22 scenes, right? So it's 10 or 11 scenes that are about five minutes each?
0: Well, they're shorter. There's a bunch of the black and white scenes that are... Like, there's one scene where it just shows him, like, breaking the pen apart so that he can start giving himself a tattoo. Like, they're uh. not they're not nearly as long as the, as the color ones. So the color ones take place over a much... Not even much, just a longer time span. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there's a couple instances where... There's that one where he's just... After... After the escort scene, so he, he kicks her out, and then he picks up the book and the clock and the brush that he had her scatter about the room for some. Re- Again, I guess was to make the illusion that he's still, he still with his wife. wife. I still, I, even after your explanation, I still this scene is just it's just weird. I don't. Uh,
1: no, it's a good point because my initial reaction was also like, oh, he's trying to remind himself of what happened, but then why scatter about things that are directly connected to his wife? Yeah.
0: Well, he takes those things, then he goes and burns them, and then what? Well, he just sits by that campfire all night, and then gets up and drives away. At which point, I for, you know I forget what happens after that. He, like, maybe that's when he Dodd chases him or something. But um, oh, speaking, there's there's a fantastic so that that Dodd chase when he's you know being chased by the guy that's trying to shoot him, and then he forgets That uh, he's being chased. That, that is that chased. is one of my
1: favorite scenes in the movie by far, for sure. <laughs> Okay, so what am I doing? I'm chasing this guy. No, he's chasing me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just so fantastic. Because it starts... This is where there's an edit or a cut between these two scenes that we see, which is an example of how this movie sort of sets up, you know, why, why is this guy running? You know, the scene ends during the chase and he just, he can't quite recall why he started running and, Oh, Hey, maybe I know that guy. Nope. He's got a gun. And then it, it's uh very apparent right away that that's, that's not the case. And I think mm-hmm. it's the best example in the whole movie. Um, if you were going to show somebody something to try to try to explain what this is about, that's probably uh, the best, best scene. At least I, I think.
1: Yeah. What, what it's about and why you would want to watch it. Cause it's so, it's just fantastic.
0: There's not, at least in my opinion, a tremendous amount of artistic or really this is not the prettiest movie right there's nothing there's no beautiful shots here there's functional shots certainly mm-hmm. but I think the really the only one and or first one is much later in the movie where he's entering it's a black-and-white scene and he's entering the place where he keeps killing people um, and it's backlit and he's got the tire iron and there's some nice God rays coming out behind him, and it's really pretty. But for a visual artist like Christopher Nolan and somebody that Wally Pfister ended up becoming, this was probably the only scene in the whole movie where I'm like, oh, that's that's nice to look at. Would you agree or disagree?
1: I agree. It's 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 gritty and functional, and it's it's not the cinematography really that makes this movie, other than they sort of just present it as just very visceral and real, to me mm-hmm. it's it's the editing that makes this movie what it is. You know, and, and, and because that is what you know, makes the viewer sort of feel what it is that Lenny's feeling. You know, with the short choppy scenes and then, you know, they cut back to memories and you just see a little flicker of it and and this and that. But I agree with you. Cinematography wise, it's yeah, it's 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 fine, it's functional, but I think it just it just conveys realism that's what it is. It's not fantastical, it's not beautiful, it's just gritty
0: you're right, and you know and you raise a good point and i I feel bad having not even realized this, but it might be a good idea to throw a little what's the opposite of shade love
1: sure hat tip I don't
0: know tip tip our hats collectively yeah. to yeah. the editor of memento uh Dotty doty.
1: Do, yeah, do, who was nominated for uh, the Academy Award for editing for this?
0: Right.
1: What was he? He was.
0: Oh, nominated for one Oscar. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Academy Award nominee Memento. There we go. Okay. Yeah.
1: So I, Good. I believe I believe somebody else tipped their hat, and it was uh, it was Mr. Oscar.
0: But let's see. Let's just take a quick gander at his uh, credits as an editor. Um, he did some work on the special version of Terminator Two. Let's see, the starting ones. So, Memento, uh, Insomnia, uh, Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven, which doesn't get a lot of the praise that I think it kind of deserves, or at least the director's cut does. Um, it's an underrated movie. Oh, he did that terrible Ben-Hur remake from two years ago, which is just terrible. I, everything is worth, <sighs> gotta be careful here. For the most part, I would say most things are worth a watch. Most things are worth a read. Like how you're really going to dismiss something?
1: You're going to be you're going to be my favorite uh, my favorite fan for my film career if you will literally watch any of these things. Ah,
0: you got to give it a shake. Yeah. So,
1: what else? Is it? So I uh, you know I was reading through the criticism of Memento, and generally critics love it. Um, but somebody wrote. Um, That it's she said in forward progression the narrative would garner little interest, thus making the reverse storytelling a filmmaker's conceit. So what they're calling out here is that it's actually a very simple story that if you put it all in chronological order would be simple, direct, and not that interesting of a story. Which I think is a very I don't what's what's a fancy word for dumb. criticism of this movie because it is the editing that makes the movie. It's the editing that makes a lot of movies what they are. Editing is what makes comedies funny. Editing is what makes horror movies scary. Editing is what makes thrillers suspenseful. And editing is what makes this film what it is. It's, you know, it's the shock of learning how differently you can interpret a scene when you find out what just happened five minutes earlier. And it has to be this kind of cutting to make to make it work that way. Which is exactly why our friend Doty got his, his nomination.
0: I've I've heard that as well. And that's why I was kind of bummed when I didn't get a chance to find or watch the chronological cut. Because I've heard that, like, yeah, well, when you watch it in order, it's really not that good of... It. Well, it was never designed to be watched in order. It was built from the ground up to be this noir sleight of hand messes with your sense of time. That's the, That was the whole point. Like, I... I get what he's saying but it sounds like it's a it's a reach as far as a criticism goes right yeah. because if you can't criticize something for what it is versus what it isn't then you really just you got nothing to say I think yeah but yeah I still I still want to watch the the chronological cut one day
1: well I, don't know. I think a couple of uh, you know as I was looking for for uh, trivia and anecdotes about this first off a whole thing was shot in 25 days like, you know, I'm working on an indie film on a much lower budget than this, and we have more shooting days than that. That's astounding to me. Carrie Ann Moss's scene were all shot in a matter of eight days. That's crazy to me. I mean, it's a, it's a simple movie in terms of how it's put together, but to make something that's this sort of brilliant in that short period of time, I find I find pretty amazing. Well,
0: that's that storyboarding and production design that you just assume they they have so tight before they even start, because they know well, what are Trinity's scenes in? There's the bar scene and the couple that they shoot at her house. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems like something you can do pretty quick as long as you set up and know what you're doing. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's nuts that it takes or that it took that short amount of time to put something like this together where it took over a year to make Following, which was not even an hour long or maybe just, no, it was uh, like 70 minutes, so I take that back. That's uh, it's nuts. Memento... It's one of those movies that you can I think it's easy to overpraise and it's also easy to disregard because is it gimmicky? But you know, maybe it is gimmicky, but the gimmick is so good that it doesn't mm. matter that it's a gimmick because it's just it just nails it.
1: Right. It's it's, it's not a, it's not a twist at the end for the sake of a twist at the end. It has its thing that is so integral to the to, to what the story is. I think I think of it as a film noir with just like the shittiest detective. Because he keeps forgetting what's going on.
0: (laughs) There's one bit of knowledge that Teddy drops uh, on Leonard at the end.
1: So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it.
0: And I thought that's the most sage advice that you got to remember that I took away from this movie. It's We're all our own narrators. Sometimes we are unreliable. What do we want to say? To wrap this up.
1: Memento was considered culturally, historically or aesthetically significant by the U.S. Library of Congress and was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry in 2017. Oh. After being featured on Jason's podcast, that is probably the second most prestigious <laughs> award that Memento has ever received.
0: I mean, it was nominated for that one Oscar by the well, yeah. for the one guy, but yeah, yeah. A Library of Congress Filmography Podcast, if that doesn't enough to convince you of Memento's place in history, then I don't know what will. Probably Ned Ryerson.
1: Ned! Ryerson! that's where that's, that's where we leave off
0: i think that's a good place to end it so that was memento christopher nolan's second movie again i'd, I'd like to thank my special guest co-host chris hazelhurst
1: fantastic wedding dancer you forgot to mention
0: i can't vouch for that i guess that's true hopefully you enjoyed filmography podcast episode two join me and a new special guest co-host uh co-hosts for episode three insomnia until then uh i'm jason you can follow me at at filmography pod on twitter uh chris where can they find you again
1: uh you can find me on twitter at oh hey chris hazel and you can find me on instagram at chris and uh yeah thanks again for having me on the show
0: ah huh, well it was fun there's plenty of more movies that we could talk about um let's roll the outro